Hey everyone, welcome to Guards of Eden. Today's guest is Becky Burley. Becky's just retired from 26 seasons at the University of Florida as their head coach of the women's soccer team. She won 513 games, which puts her number four in the NCAA Division I winningest coach. She's had this tremendous career, which started out at the age of 21, where she graduated from college at Berry and then would go on to take on the head coaching gig the following year. She describes her journey as unorthodox, and I think the human being behind the journey is also unorthodox. Someone that's been dedicated to the idea of compassion, empathy, growth, all these wonderful traits that made me very drawn to her. She co-founded a business called What Drives Winning. It looks to provide a platform for other coaches to share their experience and to focus on human development when it comes to collegiate athletes and just athletes in general. What Drives Winning has had some of the top tier coaches in America, wherever it comes to coach Gino Oriema, coach Urban Meyer, and just loads of other coaches sharing their experience and sharing their knowledge around the coaching world. I think there's something about coaching which is very easily transferable into life. So a lot of the lessons that Becky talks about in her episode are very easily transferable to people just looking to have a positive impact on people. I'm so, so grateful for Becky's time. I'm incredibly grateful that I got to be a small part of this conversation. And I just cannot recommend What Drives Winning enough. I cannot speak highly enough about the human being that is Becky Burley. And I think you're going to really love this episode. I had so much fun recording it. It was just full of wisdom and humor and just really positive spirit. And I'm once again, I just cannot say thank you enough to Becky for her time. But I don't want to take too much of your time up because this episode is fantastic, as I said. So without further ado, three, two, one, let's go. Hey, Becky, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm happy to be here. And I'm very happy that you're here. Um, Yeah, I was just saying to you before the conversation, I'm very, very excited about this conversation after learning more about your journey. Well, thanks. I think it's been a a fun journey so far, and I'm kind of looking forward to a new and different chapter. Exactly. Which, um, yeah, which is absolutely amazing. I can't wait to hear your perspective on that. But we'll start with the first question which is a question that I ask all my guests. And that's because I have a playlist on Spotify, which is the Guards of Eden soundtrack. I ask every guest, can you give me a song that makes you happy or remind you of a positive memory? Ooh, there's so many. <laughs> um, you know, I think that one of them right now for me, and it probably has to do with the, the transition I'm in, is um, Natasha Bedingfield. Um, the rest is still unwritten. Oh, I love it. oh that's fantastic that's gonna live on the spotify playlist which is living in the show notes as you're listening to this now so thank you very much yes (laughs) so coach becky burley how do you remember your childhood in rural massachusetts and what was a young becky like growing up well, funnily enough, there were no sports in the young Becky's life. I mean, we were in very rural Massachusetts. And at that time, the only sport was baseball for boys. So I remember my sporting experience uh, was playing in the yard with my brothers and their friends and then um, helping my mom run the concession stand at the baseball games. <laughs> it wasn't until we moved to Florida when I was 10 that we got to start playing sports and um, we moved right across the street from a soccer field. And so at that point it was sort of a, it was perfect because my parents wanted us to meet new kids. The field was right across the street. And so they're like, well, let's sign you up for soccer and see how that goes. Yeah. What was a young Becky like as a, as a soccer player? Well, I was, um, I had like this major growth sport spurt when I was younger. So I was pretty awkward physically. Like, um, I think I grew like three inches in one summer. Um, but I was always, I just loved playing. Like I spent so much time at the field. And so I think my teammates respected how much time I spent practicing and helping other players and just being part of the 
you know, I, I, anytime a game was going on at that field, I was there. So basically the entire weekend, that's what I did. I love it. I love it. And um, were you someone that was naturally drawn to leadership roles growing up? Or was that something that grew in you as you kind of found yourself as a person? I think I had to grow into that. I think um, I was at a reunion of my high school team several years ago and we were all going around the table and they were like, let's all talk about a word that you would associate with that person at that time. You know, like when we were in high school and mine was awkward. (laughs) (laughs) And so I think I needed a little time to figure out, you know, who I was and grow into myself. And, and that happened pretty quickly because, you know, after high school, I went to college and played and I learned a lot in college um, in terms of leadership. My college coach was a huge influence on me. And and I think that's where I kind of started to find my voice. Yeah, because that's um, that kind of brings us when it comes to your college career. How aware were you that that you were very close to transitioning into coaching? Because that gap between you playing and you coaching was so short, obviously. Um, Mm -hmm. how conscious were you as you were a collegiate athlete? Oh, coaching really could be something that I could get into at this point. Well, I, I knew I wanted to because my college coach was the first coach I saw that actually did coaching for a living. All the other coaches I had were, you know, someone's parents who also did something else. Mm. But when I got to college, you know, it was a, it was a professional coach of our team. And I, I was like, that's what I really want to do. I think, you know, my parents were really practical people and they didn't really see that. Like they didn't, they didn't see that as a career path because they didn't know anyone in that mm. career path. Yeah. Um, so they were like, well, you know, soccer is something you can kind of do on the side, but it's not a career. And um, that took a little convincing. Yeah. <laughs> and then you became a 21 year old head coach mm-hmm. in college. How was that early experience and how did you find at such a young age becoming a head coach because it's amazing really in reality looking back yeah it was pretty crazy um you know i was lucky because i got a lot of experience as a coach as a youngster um like when i was in college my college coach was very involved in coaching not just our college team but outside of our college team and um that he drew me into that like he gave me so many responsibilities that you know first i was just sort of getting the coffee for the other coaches, but then it evolved into like warming up the team or doing some more things. And, and so by the time I was leaving college, I had all this experience that most people my age would never have had the opportunity to have. And that was pretty um, beneficial in my ability to make that transition. Yeah. Cause um, something that I was conscious of, I was wondering how I remember you saying there was players on the team that were older than you. How did you ever okay. get, did you ever get the idea that maybe they resented that in any way? And how did you overcome the idea of I'm young and I've kind of, I'm learning my trade on the fly, but also I'm learning about life on the fly at that age when you're that young. I don't think anyone resented it. I think, I think it really set the pattern, which, which, you know, at the time, I don't think I had any idea, but looking back, it became pretty clear that, you know, my coaching style was very influenced by that early experience because of the fact I was so young and they were a very successful team before I got there. Um, I knew I had to coach through influence and not power. And that, that was something, like I said, I'm not sure I really understood until looking back at it later, but learning to coach through influence, I think is a, is a unique way of coaching because you don't, you're you're not using your power. Most college coaches have power. I didn't have it because of my situation. And I think the, the way that I coached through influence allowed me to grow probably quicker because I wasn't relying on just power. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess that's quite refreshing. Maybe looking back, I'd imagine being able to say that. I, I think so. I mean, it was really kind of an aha moment for me when I recognized that how that path influenced me. Um, I had never really thought of it like that before, but you know, when, when Brett Ledbetter and I um, wrote the book, uh, what drives winning environments, we talk a lot about power tools versus pro tools and pro has nothing to do with professional level, but more like um, the higher level you go, the different ways that you have to use to be able to get things done. And, and I think that 
you know, his explanation of power versus pro, I think I was using pro tools when I was 21 as a head coach without even knowing it. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I loved it. When I, when I was looking into that, I was like, that's absolutely phenomenal. A 21 year old me definitely wouldn't have the discipline slash, I guess, self, self assuredness to be able to lead at that point. So it's amazing to hear your journey. Um, and then when you go, when you find yourself in Florida, you're not only the newly appointed head coach. And once again, you're still young at that age. The program is, I'm all right in saying the program was founded the year that you took over the head coaching go- role. That's right. So, you know, they had the foresight at Florida to hire me a year in advance to kind of get the program rolling, which at the time was a very new concept. Not many people were doing that. Um, and I was 26 at that point and still very young for a power five school like Florida, um, and uh, surrounded by all these amazing coaches who had had tons of success already. But again, I think that was like a huge advantage for me as well, because I had that year to just absorb all these other coaches in their environments and take so many things from them, um, in terms of learning that, you know, what a, what a education, like you can't even buy that education. Yeah. How did you find those early years with the Florida program and coaching? Because you were successful early, like really early Mm -hmm. in in reality. But how did you find those early years in Florida? Well, you know, the first year of creating the program, it's something I'm, I'm really proud of and I'm glad that I've created a program from scratch, but I would never do it again. Like it, is, <laughs> it is exhausting. I mean, it's a, it's a crazy thing to think about now, like how that operated. Um, and it could never have worked without all the cooperation of all the other sports teams at Florida, because mm-hmm. some of their players were hosts for our players when they came to visit. Um, you know, when you don't have a current existing team to, to share with the incoming players, you had to borrow others teams. And, and I think that the cooperation and the willingness for the other coaches to help just also made a huge impact on me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm here from the UK, but I'm even, I'm quite consciously aware of Florida throughout the years. I like for me anyway, being my age and kind of my, I guess, process with American sports, but I think of the Joakim Noah Al Horford men's team. I think of Urban Meyer, Tim Tebow, the college football team. And it's such a big program, but you were so integral, I guess, to yeah, building something. It's it's just amazing. I as I was yeah, as I was prepping for this, I just couldn't believe it. Like the journey, the early journey in coaching you had. Um and I was gonna ask how you've mentioned it before that it's not something that you see now that your coaching journey is obviously quite unique to what someone may experience now. Um, is there any memories from that in terms of you think back now and you go, wow, this just wouldn't happen to a coach that's getting into <laughs> coaching in 2021? Well, I think that's like most of my coaching journey. Like no one's <laughs> going to hire a 21 year old to be in charge of a college program and, and no, you know, power five school like Florida, it's pretty rare to hire a 26 year old. Yeah. Um, but I think that, you know, it was a different era. So that has to be taken into account. I also feel like, you know, the the reason I don't necessarily love sharing my journey is because it's not realistic to what happens. Mm. But I think there's some really um, interesting parts of my journey that anyone can take lessons from, probably just not the actual career path, because my ascension to be able to get to a power five school at 26 is like that's just unheard of at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's be honest, Florida are looking back now and saying it's the absolute right decision we made. But <laughs> um one thing that you've spoken about which I really loved, um, and it's it probably does speak to the human being that you are, which is can you share what Real World Weekly was? And can you sure. speak and can you speak to the ethos, the idea behind person over player? I would love to. Um, so I'm going to start with the first one uh, or the second one person greater than player for us is it's just like separating the two and realizing that, you know, soccer is what our players do or what I do as a coach. It's not who we are. And, um, making sure that like, we're talking about the holistic person and not just the athlete. And I think it's really easy, the higher level you go for it to become a very transactional environment in terms of sport. 
And I think I never really wanted that to be the case at Florida. And so the person greater than player sort of came from um, Brett was working with one of our players who was a super successful player, but she was unhappy. And it was like, why are you unhappy with all these positive things happening to you? And I think it was just kind of a combination of the pressure of what was going on in her life with the sport. And you know, kind of created that hashtag uh, person greater than player for her to help her process how to manage the pressure of what was going on. And then that became just a program mantra. Um, and then, you know, I think for me, that that whole ethos kind of turned into Real World Weekly in a way that it's like, how could we, especially in the off season, help players have informational things about what they wanted to learn more about. I mean, that's kind of the whole point of college is like growing. And so we would survey the, the team at the beginning of the spring, ask them things that they wanted to learn more about, and then just create a curriculum where once a week we would take the entire day of that day's training and use that time for whatever it was that they wanted. So it could be finances. It could be, um, etiquette it could be scooter maintenance it could be you know how to jump a car like all these different kind of things that uh they picked as topics that they wanted to have more information on yeah i um when i heard you talk about it it was i was just it makes so much sense when you say it the idea of person over player and the idea of being a student in that mindset of studying and growing to teach these maybe non, I guess, oh, I'm trying to think of the word there, but the idea of non-traditional things that you would learn in college, but are absolutely vital in everyday life. And I just loved it hearing you talk about that. And yeah, the idea of having a coach, because it's, I think something that maybe doesn't translate here in England as much as it does in America is the idea of how important a collegiate coach is in the grand scheme of a person's life. So for you to have that ethos of you as the person are what we prioritize over the player is just not only refreshing, but like slightly heartwarming, I guess, as someone that <laughs> loves sports. So, um, yeah, I'm really happy that you spoke about that. Um, and then you get to the 97-98 season and you're becoming a national champion. How, well, the team are national champions, sorry. How do you remember that season? Because it's four years into your time in Florida, but in four years, you've reached the pinnacle of what that profession is in terms of the goal, I guess, the professional goal. Um, how was? How do you remember that season and what was it like to reach the pinnacle so quickly in your career in that sense? You know, that's a great question. I think that um, the the interesting part of that season was you know, everybody remembers it culminating with a national championship, but not what, ev what everybody doesn't remember is all the years following or previous to that was, you know, facing the best competition and, and sometimes losing pretty badly, you know, and, and trying to get ourselves to the level that we needed to be to compete. And that took us getting, you know, hammered at times. And, and I think we just got to the point where, we saw our weaknesses over and over again and we thought we'd gotten better and then we'd get them exposed again. And we thought we'd gotten better and we'd get them exposed again. But like that willingness of that team uh, or of that group of individuals over the course of time, just to be willing to put themselves out there. I think that's what sort of sped up the evolution of that group. Um, and then I think on the flip side of that, like once you're on the other side of it um, you know, in our experience with, what drives winning and some of the clients that Brett works with, which are really high achieving coaches, you know, there seems to be a level of like, is that all there is after a championship? Mm. I think for me, there was a little bit less of that because it happened very early. It happened in a very um, organic way, like that growth way that I was just describing. And so it didn't feel as defining to me as it might, I think for some coaches. And I, I'm, I think that's a blessing for me too, because, you know, we had won championships at Barry as well. And so it, I think having success at that young age, you know, there's so many coaches that go through this phase of trying to prove themselves because that happened early for me. I think I got to 
maybe not skip that phase, but accelerate that phase, which allowed me to have a little bit more self-confidence going forward after that phase. Yeah. Yeah. I guess knowing what it's like to be there and maybe the realization, because that is one thing I've loved about what drives winning. And that's actually the next kind of topic that we'll cover. But the idea of, I remember coach, coach Oriema speaking to Brett and saying about John Wood and when he was talking about, um, Lou Alcinda and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar saying he almost tried to talk himself out of recruiting him because he knew what the pressure of like the burden of winning became far more like that pressure is almost like suffocating in a way um so yeah I guess there's that idea of winning early it allows you to understand what's really important about the program and maybe redefining other measures of success I'm imagining that you kind of you get to go this is what I consider success outside of we're trying to win the championship, which is the natural, I guess, goal that every team has. Yeah, I think it, it doesn't, I don't think it creates complacency, which I think some people could argue that, you know, having success early might do that. I think, you know, what it takes to get to that level. And we all know as coaches like that, there's so many factors involved, including luck, let's say for real too. (laughs) Um, um, But I think it, it allows you an appreciation for what that is. And um, it, I think that that there's just so many things that are unique in my path that are so um, not the norm that I, when I look back at my career, I think I was really lucky in some ways that I didn't even know at the time. Yeah. 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 Which is, I can imagine that's that train of thought is probably quite common for people, but obviously it's, born from an uncommon journey um Mm -hmm. so i don't know if this is true this is a wild assumption that i made and you can clarify it or debunk it but was it through coach mark dagnott that you and brett um connected and it was yeah i was looking (laughs) in a very random setting (laughs) because i actually was i was listening to daniel coyle speak in new york city Mm -hmm. um the author of the talent code um and the culture code and I, I went up to him afterwards and I was like, man, it would be great if you're ever in Gainesville, which he lives in Alaska. So like, what are the chances, you know? <laughs> and he says, uh, oh, I was just in Gainesville like two weeks ago. And I'm like, what? Um, and then I found out that he knew Mark via Billy Donovan. And um, I didn't know Mark, which I thought was strange for me because I feel like I know pretty much everyone on our athletic staff. So when I got back to school, I looked up our little staff directory. I'm like, who is this Mark Dignall? <laughs> and, and so then I just called him out of the blue. and I was like, hey, uh, you know, you want to get coffee? And luckily he didn't think I was some crazy stalker and he agreed. <laughs> um, and then we just started this relationship where we would get coffee periodically. And he's the one that introduced me to Brett because Brett was in the basketball world. And I'm not sure we would have ever crossed paths otherwise. Yeah. And um, I mean, so for those of you that don't know, Mark Dagnall is the current Oklahoma City Thunder um, NBA coach, and he was coaching. He was so he was working as an an assistant coach, right at the time. He was actually an assistant to Billy Donovan, but not an assistant coach. So it was a pretty uh, unique role where he was sort of like a thinking partner to Billy. Which sure. man, that's a that's a dream job right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, do you remember your early interactions with Brett, and did you have any inclination because Brett had been doing this consultant work? I as you guys were meeting, I guess, but did you have any inclinations that you would maybe partner up in the future? Well, interestingly, when I met Brett, he was running an academy for fifth to 12th graders in basketball. So he hadn't started the consulting yet. Um, and then he came down to Florida to work with my team, um, which took some convincing because at the beginning when I met him, he was like, well, yeah, you know, like we can talk like quarterly and this is a good, good place. to, You know? And I was like, or weekly or daily, maybe. (laughs) Um, And so he came down and started working with our team because my premise was, hey, what you're trying to do in terms of this sports, repurposing sports to develop character, like that works at an academy where there's no wins and losses. You're just purely um, working on development with these kids. But at Florida, you know, people get hired and fired because of results. So how is that going to work in that environment? And I think he took that as a challenge and, 
came down and started working with my team. Some of the other sports started uh, looking in and seeing what we were doing and really liked it. So then he started doing this collaboration with all of our head coaches. And that was sort of the genesis of the, the conference that we started because we were like, why don't we just bring, you know, coaches from across the country with similar mindsets together to discuss this topic. Um, and then, it, you know, it just sort of evolved into this partnership at that point. And that partnership is, and the conference is, what drives winning, um, which I love. I mean, I've just realized I'm wearing the Celtics hat, and that was where I was introduced to what drives winning through Coach Stevens and his appearances with what drives winning. Um, so can you explain what drives winning, what it does, and maybe what your early intentions and hopes were, you and Brett, for founding it? Well, I think to be honest with you, I'm not sure we knew that it was going to grow to the extent that it did. I mean, it was, it sort of took off after that first conference. Um, people were like, wow, I've found my tribe kind of thing, you know, yeah. and, and that has continued. But basically I think the premise of what drives winning is like, can we get like-minded people together that want to be transformational coaches that want to explore you know, the different pillars that we talk about, which is like character development, behavior management, uh, priorities, um, all these self-awareness, things that aren't things that they teach you in coaching school. And you know, I think so much of sports focuses on the X's and O's and, and we're trying to kind of focus on the things that are the human related issues. Yeah. And um, because you end up stumbling, well, look, I, I'm talking as a person from a massively on the outside, but you find this recipe with Brett in terms of the idea of focusing on the human being and working on personal development rather than just saying, you know, you need to work on your defending, you need to work on it, on these kind of coaching points, the more tangible uh, player-based stuff. But there's an element of you're in a competitive field and being able to provide something collaborative, It, I guess it's it seems counterintuitive. So... Why was it important for you to bring something that was collaborative into a competitive field naturally and to not just say, yeah, what me and Brett have got is great and I'm going to keep it all to myself rather than saying, let's bring it to more people and make sure that people are being able to be more transformational coaches, like you said. Mm, great question. Um, I think being such a young head coach, it's so funny how all our experiences are tied back to things. Um it was like survival for me to be collaborative. You know, when I was at Barry, my athletic director, the men's coach there, the other coaches at Barry, um, like were huge influences for me. And I, I like, because I had to, like I needed to absorb all this information. And then the same, when I got to Florida, you know, those coaches were so much a part of our success. I feel like the national championship should go to like all the coaches who were at Florida at that time, not just soccer. Um, and so I think collaboration was sort of born into that process. Um, and so I never even thought about keeping that to myself and not sharing it because I feel like that's something that I sort of owe the coaching world because of what the coaching world gave me at my start. Yeah, because I completely agree. And I, for me anyway, the natural comparison is podcasting. It's this idea of podcasters could say oh no we want to keep all of the guests for us we want to keep all of the secrets for us but the idea of collaboration being something that's vital for me if anybody starts a podcast i don't see them as competition it's you know your your com your contribution is like rewarding to the ecosystem of podcasting and i guess it's probably the same with you with the idea of learning about other coaches mindsets on approaching their profession it, it actually enhances the community of coaching and it's something that a person can take a dabble of value from this coach and a dabble of value from this coach. So I absolutely love what you've built with Brett. Um, and of course, I've got one of the books. I've taken in all of the, the videos through YouTube. Um, yeah, I just love what drives winning. And <laughs> Thanks. No problem. Um <laughs> And this is a question I didn't have planned, but it's a video of yours that I watched recently for the prep. And it was the idea of the bench cam. And I loved it. I loved how you explained it. Um, can you talk about the bench cam where that idea was born 
and kind of the value that you saw it because there was a particular case study you provided with a player coming off mm-hmm. as a substitute and something that I'm all too familiar with just how frustrating that can be as a player but yeah can you speak to the idea of the bench cam and what value that brought to your team well i think the bench cam was probably an idea that i borrowed from someone at some point you know if you look at the sport of basketball when they film games um the the arena is small it's not like us being outside um so it's their their benches on the camera by just by nature And so I think it might've been like coach K from Duke or somebody that, you know, first I got that idea from, um, but I think what's interesting about the bench camera is that just the way that you use it. So it's really simple. It's just a camera that films the bench, but the bench also includes the coaches. So big caveat with that, make sure people are realizing that. Um, but it's just a good way to get neutral feedback because, when the bench is recording, most people are in the, you know, the throes of the game. So they're not acting a certain way. Um, And so it's great to use the positive highlights from the bench cam. Like for example, somebody really supporting a player that's maybe playing in their position. And you see that. And like, we, you want to reward that behavior and you want the person who's playing who probably doesn't see that behavior to be able to recognize that. Wow. Like person who's in my spot is pulling for me hard, you know, Um, but then also there's times when, you know, maybe it's the coaches, maybe it's the players where the emotions get the best of us. And how do we do that on a more individual level at that point and just say, Hey, like, is this the signal you're trying to send? And most of the time when people see themselves in that situation, that's definitely not the signal they're trying to send. And, and just being able to see it from a neutral observer look of the camera helps them um you know we're both on the same side of the issue now we're just trying to send different signals and how do we do that together yeah yeah and the idea of i think i think coach oriema spoke about it the idea of if i can see a person's attitude when they're not playing and they're on the bench that's integral to what we want here for him for at yukon the idea of people actively celebrating other people's success and it's just as important their their body language on the bench as it is sometimes when they're in the game. Um, and I love that. Yeah. You provided this case study that just made me laugh because I'm the exact same. If I, <laughs> if I get taken off in a game, I think it was a young lady that would, she'd been taken off. She went off the camera. A couple of her players were really nervous. Like, Oh God, we better get her. And it was kind of <laughs> nervous. And it, it's exactly how I am. Um, when it comes to the early days of what drives winning, because like I said, there's a natural, there's a competitive element to coaching. How did you find coaches in terms of were they receptive to the work you were doing with the conferences early? And what, what was your reaction to the idea of how maybe willing some coaches were to be open and transparent with how they perceived their profession and the sport themselves? Hmm. That's a, that's a tough one. I think, um, you know, I feel like after having worked with a lot of different coaches in a lot of different sports, there's definitely like a sociology of each sport to where the openness is a factor, you know, in soccer, because we have coaching school and that's mandatory from a very, you know, every coach in soccer knows that that's the path you take. I think soccer is really collaborative because we, we just have, grown up that way as coaches. And I think there's other sports um, that maybe haven't had that experience. And so keeping things close to the vest seems to be valued in those sports, you know? Um, But I think what's cool about what drives winning is because it's bringing all these different sports together, there seems to be a little more openness in the room because you're not concerned about giving your opponent your secrets. And we're not talking about X's nose anyway, we're talking about human related issues that it has created um, a community of like-minded coaches. And, and to be fair, the coaches who are really close to the vest with, even with their culture, part of their team, like they don't usually um, participate in what drives winning because that's not, that's not our tribe. I think our tribe is people who do want to make the coaching profession a better environment for all and to share the things that they do that work. And, and honestly, to share the things that they do that don't work and how they've gone through those struggles to, to figure those things out. And it's a, it's a vulnerable 
culture to where people are willing to talk about both their successes and their failures. Yeah. Yeah. I think of um, Sue Inquest and mm-hmm. her talking about, yeah, I remember her, her, um, but throwing away the trophy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And also the fans, I think it was something to do oh, with that's a right. young lady that's right. and, that was a very powerful segment that she did on that. Really powerful. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Really um, good one. That was one of my favorites, I think. Yeah. And now actually, now that we've got you in a reflective state of mind, that's a good time for me to ask this, which is, is there any moments that have stuck with you through the conferences where another coach has impacted maybe your perception of human human interaction, the way that you, that you go about your profession? Um, is there anything that sticks out where... It was like a miniature light bulb moment of the idea of, oh, I never thought of it in that way. Or, oh, God, I never perceived that that may be something that I could implement with me back in Florida in Gainesville. Um, is there anything from one of those conferences that stands out for that? Well, I don't think we have enough time to talk about all the light bulb moments I've had at our conferences. I mean, so many. I feel like every time I talk to another coach, um, there's light bulb moments. And, you know, at What Drives Winning, we have a coaching lab, and the lab meets twice a week. And um, it's a it's a live digital um, interaction. And there's coaches like, you know, Power 5 football coaches to uh, youth coaches in all sports, high school coaches, uh, and it's to me like that I have light bulb moments with all of those coaches. Like it doesn't even matter to me what level you coach on. I think that when people are doing their best work in their environment, it's inspiring. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I'd say that one that I've talked about a lot that sticks out to me is, you know, Billy Donovan was talking to one of his players and he was talking about, you know, being frustrated and down. And the line that he would always ask the guy was like, is that who you want to be? And for some reason, I don't know why, but that has really stuck with me in times of, you know, adversity or frustration. Um, have, I feel like I have little Billy Donovan sitting on my shoulder saying, is that who you want to be? And, you know, the answer is usually no, that's not who I want to be. And so uh, then the, the follow-up question is, then why are you acting that way? And so it's sort of just a, a nice little cue to remind me to change my behavior. Yeah. I, firstly, that's amazing. I love that. Um and that's incredibly valuable. I think it says a lot about you as a human being, if I like veer off, that you've been so receptive to light bulb moments. Because I don't know, I don't, I feel like, I feel like you have to be a particular mindset and a particular type of human being to be that receptive, right? Because you've had this prolonged success, and we'll talk about your career in a reflective term now, but this idea of you've had all this success, but you're yet still so open to new and so open to learning. And rather than being like, nope, this is how we've done it in Gainesville. And I don't really need to, you're not in an open mindset in terms of you could easily be that way, but it says something about you. I think as a human being, as a person that, that you're receptive to it as much as you are, this idea of, Oh wow, that's interesting. And it, it speaks to maybe your ego, the fact that you have, the emotional intelligence to be in a learning position. Um, and yeah, it is one of them is one of the key reasons I'm so excited about this conversation we're having because yeah, I don't know how common that is. I think it's, it's, um, it's an interesting question you pose about how common that is. I think again, going back to like, seems to be like sort of the theme of this is all of our life experiences play into the coach that we are now. Right. And so my life experience as a coach was I had to learn on the fly so early and I, I needed sources of inspiration and learning, you know, whether that was reading books or getting, you know, getting to meet coaches, like the thing that what drives winning has provided me as well as other professional opportunities that I've had is like, when you have the chance to interact with other coaches and really learn about how they do things like, you know, as of right now, like there's no way to pay for that education in our country. We're trying to change that with, you know, uh, the University of Florida and creating some coaching uh, classes and a coaching major and um, a coaching graduate degree. But like, you know, I was a I was a biology major because my parents were like, well, maybe you could teach and coach. So teach something that they always need. And like that was science, you know. Yeah. 
So but I would have loved to have majored in coaching, but that wasn't even an option, you know, and I feel like the more we can educate coaches, I mean, when you think about it in the big picture, the fact that like, as a coach, you are responsible in a very large part of someone's life, like, especially in college, you're, you're responsible for them hundred percent. And yet we have no training for anyone who's doing that besides on the fly training. Like that's kind of crazy. So I think that that's something that the, the learning part and the being curious part, I think it's just hard to be a good coach if you don't have that mindset, because, you know, one of the things I talk about is when I was at Florida, when I started, I was 26, the players were 18 to 22. I'm way past 26 now. And the players are still 18 to 22. (laughs) And, And so if I'm not evolving and becoming you know, a better coach than when I was 26 and finding ways to stay relevant in terms of understanding them and meeting them where they are as 18 to 22 year olds. Now, like I can't be an effective coach. So by nature, I feel like coaching, you have to have a curious mindset and you have to be inquisitive in order to be your best version of yourself as a coach. I completely agree. And it probably, that particular last sentence that you said, probably you could replace coach with just about anything and it's probably true um so that's why yeah although coaching feels can feel like that it's relevant to coaching a lot of what you've done is very very relevant to life um and that's what i've i've been able to take lots of lessons from what drives winning and just make myself a better human being and i don't coach so um yeah, for anybody that is listening, please check out what drives winning. But as you've said, you could have convinced me that you're 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 26. But as you've said, you're not 26. But um, <laughs> why I say that is because naturally this for this spring you've decided. Well, you decided before, but this spring was your last season as the Florida head coach. Um, how do you feel if you allow yourself to be reflective now? How do you feel about your coaching career as it's gone? You know, I look back on it and um, I, I came from some very humble roots and beginnings. And so when I look at now, I'm like, how did that even happen? You know, it's kind of crazy. Um, but I also feel really uh, fulfilled by my coaching career. I think I met some incredible humans, uh, both as players that played on the team, you know, opponents that coached against um, coaches that I've learned from in other sports. And it's, it's been a really rich career, like something that you couldn't even really predict or dream of, you know, as a kid. So from that standpoint, you know, I do feel like the coaching game is a, it's a, it's a very consuming profession. I mean, both emotionally, physically, um, time-wise, you know, I have, mad props for people who juggle kids and family and all that while they're coaching, because like, I feel like we all have a finite amount of emotional energy and you spend a lot of it on a team, you know, and I think a team needs that. So for me, I think being able to recognize that, you know, it's time for someone who can bring that consistently all the time um, needs to take over that spot. Like it's not, I don't feel bad about that. Like, I feel like that's a, it's a gift to be able to recognize that and to allow someone else to step into those shoes. And I'm very excited for Florida soccer going forward because, you know, it's a great position, got great people in the organization and somebody's going to come in and hopefully have as fulfilling a career as I did. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, You said you had a statement when you were declaring your, that retirement was coming at the end of the season I just found it incredibly poignant. Um, It really stuck with me when I found it. Um, And I have a question off the back of it. So you said in your statement, how lucky I am to have had something that makes saying goodbye so hard. And I was wondering, does that feeling of gratitude outweigh the potential sorrow that comes with leaving that job? 100%. 100%. So first of all, that quote, I think, is from Winnie the Pooh. (laughs) I did not know that. I thought that was a Becky Burley original. I love it. (laughs) I borrow everything. (laughs) Um, But I do feel, I do feel a lot of gratitude. You know, I feel gratitude that, 
Florida took a chance on me at such a young age. I feel gratitude that, you know, it's very rare for to some for someone to have a career of, you know, 26, 27 years at the same institution. That doesn't happen often. Um, and and I feel gratitude to the 280 women that have come through this program that have made that so difficult to leave because, you know, even now, like the last few weeks, we've been taking all of the uh, memorabilia. And so instead of it just sitting in the back room somewhere gathering dust, I decided that it would be best to distribute it because the next person isn't, it's not their history, you know, so they're not going to be as um, embedded as, as I am with it. So this massive project of getting all this memorabilia out to people has occurred um, and shout out to all of our managers for helping with that. Um, but it's, it's been so cool too, because when people get their little time capsule of stuff that they had, I think it's, it's really the farther away they are from it, the more meaningful it has become to them. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And one final question before I get into the final four questions, you were quoted as well as saying, I think I'm ready for a slightly different rhythm of life. So Becky, what does life look like for you moving forward from now? Well, that is absolutely true. You know, like some of just the littlest things make the biggest difference. Like, for example, um, I don't even bring my phone in the bedroom at night anymore. And prior to that, like my phone never turned off, like never, because, you know, you're responsible for 18 to 22 year olds in a college town. I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the little things like, uh, you know, most mornings now, like when I get up, I take the dogs for a walk and that's that's different you know instead of just getting right off to the office um so like just little things like being able to do something in the fall besides soccer because my entire adult life every fall has been committed from you know august until december so there's things like you know seeing the fall foliage in the northeast you know yeah. things like that that are just simple but like things that you can now do so i think that rhythm will definitely change and i'm looking forward to that yeah i um i'm really excited to see how what drives winning evolves and now i'm highly invested in your story and seeing how that evolves so i'm excited for it too so becky can you please plug anything that you have going on now I want no shame. So please, <laughs> please plug as shamelessly as you want. How can people find out more about you and get more Becky in their lives? And do you have anything that you can share in terms of projects, ETC? Well, um, what drives winning.com is simply the, the spot to go for everything. Uh, that's where our books are. That's where, um, you know, we have resources that are free for, in terms of videos, as well as our coaching lab. Uh, workshops, all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, if people want to follow me po um, just individually, then that's easy. It's just at Becky Burley. <laughs> Nothing special about that. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, upcoming projects, I will get more involved with um, What Drives Winning, but really excited about our partnership with the University of Florida. Um, we're going to be teaching classes at the graduate level that are what drives winning, but Florida is also teaching undergraduate classes that my wife are is teaching that are um, through True North Sports that are coaching classes um, for undergrads. And that's, again, like I would have been so excited to major in something like that if I was an uh, un undergrad. So just trying to, you know, get more information to the masses in terms of you know, this is something you can do for a living. This is something that can be really fulfilling, but let's also prepare you to do that instead of just throwing people into the deep end. Because I think I was lucky. I was thrown into the career at a time where there wasn't social media. There wasn't this scrutiny of athletics like there is now. And I was allowed to make mistakes and grow along the way. Whereas now it's like this need for instant results. It's a lot harder. And so being more prepared going into it I think is a huge step in professionalizing our our profession. Yeah, I love it. So people check the show notes out because that is where some of the bits and bobs that Becky have spoken about lives. Um, and now the final four questions, which are questions that I ask everyone. Um, and they're just general life kind of reflective questions. So question number one, Becky, if I could give you a megaphone that spoke to the entire world and you could share only one message, 
what would it be? Hard hitting last fours here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think, I, I think I would try to find the message of like, is what you're doing finding fulfillment? And if it's not, then why are you doing it? Mm, I love it. That's great. Um, question number two, what's a personal struggle that you may have that many people may not know about? Well, I think the biggest one for me right now is just trying to adjust to this new life. I mean, my entire adult life, literally my entire adult life has been spent coaching. And so trying to figure out what this new rhythm is going to look like um, and just get my footing with that, I think is, is where I'm trying to find it right now. And, and I will, I just need a little time to get settled, I think, but it's a, it's, you know, change is always a little bit disconcerting, but in, exciting at the same time. Yeah. I can just imagine you with your wife being like coaching her during bre- like making breakfast. Okay, come on. Pro- let's get going. Let's get <laughs> I know I need to make sure I don't, uh, I don't head coach her at home or head coach the dogs at home because <laughs> I'm not that anymore. <laughs> Oh, I love it. <laughs> um, question number three. What are three personality traits slash characteristics that you would say you've built your life upon up to this point? Mm. Well, curiosity for sure. Um, I would hope that people would say about me empathy, like having coached so many different people from so many different backgrounds. I feel like that's an important skill. And the third one uh, I would probably say commitment. Like, I think once I, once I commit to something, I'm, I'm very much, um, willing to see it through. Okay. I love it. Um, and the final question, this is my favorite question to ask anybody. And I've just managed to have a podcast where I can ask it. So the final question, many years into the future, your time as Becky Burley is coming to an end. The person closest to you only has one sentence to describe you and your time here on earth. What would you hope that would be? Boy, you coming with the hard hitters. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I would hope they would say um, she loved the life she lived and impacted others while doing that. I absolutely love that. Thank you so much, Becky. I've really, really enjoyed this conversation and I'm just incredibly grateful for your time and story. Well, you had some great questions, even though they were hard. Yeah, I warmed you. (laughs) Thanks for doing that. (laughs) I warmed you up with all the questions before and I kind of get to shamelessly ask the tough questions at the end. (laughs) (laughs) That was great. I really enjoyed it. Thanks. Thank you very much. And for those of you that are listening, please check out the show notes and go and show Becky love and please check out what drives winning. I cannot recommend it for those that are in coaching or just human beings in general. So please, please check that out. And I say goodbye to everyone. Bye everyone.